What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Inside the Five. It's Griff. It's Tom. And on this episode, we're doing a deep dive. We have three sports we're covering. Uh, we got the NBA, a lot of news coming up in the NBA. We got some Celtics. We got Dame dropping 71 points. A lot of talking points about the NBA. Uh, we had a big weekend of college basketball, as always. My Tar Heels may be saving their season. We'll talk about it soon. And then we're going to wrap up with our first Red Sox talk, MLB talk, rules, rule changes, the Red Sox, who we think are going to surprise us in good and bad ways this season. Stop. We got a jam-packed episode. What do you say? I got my Sox hat on. I'm ready to go. I'm excited for baseball. I'm excited for this episode. Let's do it. Let's go. Hey everybody, welcome back to Inside the Five. Let's get things started. Let's talk NBA. Um, we'll, I'll, we'll go a little bit out of order what we have on the notes, but uh, you got a headline with Damian Lillard scoring 71 points. I don't know if you watched that game, Griff, but it, yes. it was just unbelievable the shots he was hitting. He was pulling up from half court, essentially, the game Lillard range, hitting fadeaways. And when we say he scored 71, it was a very efficient 71. It's not like he was just hawking and stat pad he was creating his own shots and scoring when he needed to this is a very efficient and a very pure 71. yeah and uh i watched like half of the second quarter on once i noticed that like he was getting really hot in the second quarter and he had a big second quarter and he finished the half with 41 points in the first half and i mean from there on out it was just you know about getting him the ball and seeing what he could do but the thing is you're right stop it's not like he slowed down on his productivity with shooting the ball. Like, obviously, he took 38 shots in this game. That's kind of something that you have to do to score th- 71 points. But I feel like 38 shots, we've seen a lot. Like, we've seen around that number uh, of attempts in a game, and I, I bet you we've seen a lot less points with with those uh, amount, of, amount of attempts from the field. I mean, he was just on fire early throughout the whole game. Um, the Trailblazers, I mean, you know, are floating around that 500 mark, but Dame's playing, I mean, the best he's played at least in the past four or five years. If not, maybe the best he's ever played in his career. And Dame's been very exciting to watch. It's just sad that literally he has nothing behind him on that team. That team sucks. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's really unfortunate. <laughs> and, I mean, looking at the box score, nobody else on that team scored over 13 points. Yeah, like other than obviously Dame scored seventy eight, but their second leading scorer was Jeremy Grant with thirteen points, and then after that it was Nazir Little off the bench with eleven, and then nobody else scored over double digits. So mm-hmm. I mean, granted Dame did score seventy one points, and he took thirty eight of the seventy seven shots. It just you're not you're not seeing productivity out of anybody else in that lineup. Uh, they have some decent play, like Cam Reddish is. A guy, he's a project. He's been like one of the biggest project players in the NBA. Uh, Jeremy Grant's a solid player. He's a guy who's always in trade talks with good teams, right? People are trying to buy Jeremy Grant to improve their team. Batiste Bible, recent acquisition, uh, defensive-minded player. But other than that, they, they don't really have these guys. They're a very small ball lineup. Drew Eubanks is their starting center. But game just didn't score. He had six assists and six rebounds as well. He turned over the ball twice. With that usage rate, that's unbelievable. I, I, I don't – like, this is just 
one of those things where I know the Rockets suck. The Rockets, I think, are, if not the worst team in the NBA, the second worst team. Um, I think the Spurs are worse. But that sounds right. Yeah. yeah, whatever it is, Texas basketball is down bad. But it, it's still against NBA talent that Dame is just making these guys look stupid and, cre- and his shot making. I think Dame, his la- I think I saw a stat his last 10 games, he's averaging like. 37 points or something like that. He's on an incredible tear right now. It just sucks that he's on a terrible team. Yeah, I was looking just through his past games last night while he was, like, you know, creating history. And I was just, like, seeing, like, people have been talking a lot about Dame. And obviously we're on, like, the other side of the country, so we don't watch him that often. But I was watching him last night on League Pass. And just as he was going on, like, he's getting MVP chance and stuff like that. I was like, Dame's not really doing that good this season, right? I was going, like – the game before this, he had like 40. The game before that, he had 30. The game before that, he had 50. He just like, he's been doing it every single game after, especially after All-Star break. There's only been a couple, but before that, he got really hot. We saw him in the All-Star game. He was awesome just pulling from like half court. And I mean, he's shooting from everywhere. Once he passes that line, you have to guard him. He will shoot from everywhere. And he's one of the purest, like, in terms of shot creating, like there isn't a shot that he can't find. Like he will find somewhere on the court where he can jump up in the air, fade away a little bit, and he will be open enough for himself to just swish in like, I mean, a 40 foot bomb. He, he hits those shots. It's crazy that, you know, you remember obviously his um, playoff game winner um, against the thunder where it was like Dame time and he, he, he came back, like, last week or two weeks ago, and he was like, yeah, honestly, that was a bad shot. But he does it, like, throughout the game. He does yeah. it, like, he'll bring, he'll bring the ball up in the middle of the second quarter. He'll cross half court. He sees, like, the edge of the Trailblazers logo, and he just pulls it and turns around. Like, he's doing some things that we have never seen in the game. And people say this is stuff like Steph Curry, but Dame has been doing this, and Dame does this in – the, the way that Dame creates his shot, I feel like he has a little bit more of a fade to it. Like when, you know, he's running off to the side and he's kind of jumping over to the side. Like people are trying to emulate that and saying it's Steph Curry. This is Dame's thing and Dame's been doing it. No, I mean, it's it's unbelievable. And he's been doing this his entire career. I think mm-hmm. we're going to look back at his career in like 15, 20 years, whenever he's out of the league. And we're gonna be like, damn, Damian Lillard was really a treat to watch. And no one's re- no one really talks about Dame unless he does something like this, right? And um, it's unfortunate, you know. And he's he's a guy. It's it's kind of become a meme where he's not leaving Portland. It, yeah. It's a known fact. He refuses to leave Portland. He wants to bring. I don't want. That, I I assume he wants to bring a title to the city. But it's very unlikely right now that this team does anything, yet alone even make the playoffs. So um, he's, it's very respectable, in my opinion. You know, you get drafted by this team, this organization, these fans love you, and you show out every single night possible, and you, you give them a, a historic performance. And I think he scored, what, he scored 60 not even a month ago? Like, he, he's just – he's one of the most pure scorers we'll ever see. And it's a damn shame that the Trailblazers aren't doing more to get talent around him because in the playoffs, we all know Dame's a, he, it's a spectacle. You know, he's hit so many memorable game winners. Like I think about with the 2014 when he hit the game winner against the Rockets to send him home. 
uh, over Chandler Parsons. And obviously we just talked about it. Sorry, Darren, the one against the Thunder a few years back. He just, he does this time and time again, right? And, and it's a damn shame we don't get, we won't, or hopefully we will get to see them in the playoffs and we can see Damian Lillard in the playoffs. One of the best clutch players of all time, in my opinion. But these, the other guys got to step up for this to happen. And we talk about Dame obviously scoring 71. This is the second time this year that 71 points exactly have been scored. Donovan Mitchell did it um, in January. This was the night of the Monday Night Football game with the Bills and the Bengals. So it kind of went under the radar in a sense where that wasn't even close to the biggest sports story that night. So no one really talks about that. But I feel like this is the first time in – Since Booker. Or, yeah, yeah, no, like I'm saying like this might be the first time in NBA history that two different guys have scored over – Oh, in the same season. Yeah. Like, that, it's unbelievable the level of scoring we're seeing. I mean, granted, Donovan Mitchell did it in overtime, and Dame did it in four – it's still 71 points. 71 points in the NBA game is unbelievable. And, I mean, I don't want to be that guy, but I watched the whole second half. He could have had more. He got easily taken out, which they – so they went up big. And if you look at the box score, stuff, I mean, all five of the starters, their plus minuses was, I mean, plus 20 and up. And then – I think there was only one person off the bench that had a positive plus minus. Yeah, Everybody else right was now. negative. They took him out in the third quarter with like six minutes left and took him out for the rest of, of, of the quarter, brought him back in in the fourth. If he was in there for those six minutes, he can hit 80. And, I mean, by the end of the game, though, he was exhausted, and rightfully so. I mean, he dropped 71 points. And not only did he do it efficient – like from three from getting inside the rack he went 14 for 14 from the free throw line um he just did everything i mean he carried this team and he's been carrying this team and the stat that i talk about i have his past games up he dropped 71 this is their first game since all-star break but um right before that he had 39 40 38 33 like he just is i mean insane like i don't know what else to say even about it and he's just i don't know like it, it's tough that he's on this team because it's really not going to mean that much unless they can sneak into um to the play-in and they're gonna have to play like lebron and i and i would have them beating lebron and i would have dame dropping like 60. yeah and he's what it he's one of those guys i mean I, this is kind of us being on a broken record here but He's one of those guys who can literally take over a game and change the outcome by himself, right? And, and that was a good game yesterday. It was a pretty good game. They got it was, close in the fourth, and Dave came back and just started hitting every shot again. He needed to score 71 for them to win. Mm-hmm. I mean, not, not necessarily 71. He needed to score at the level he did for them to win. Because, I mean, I bet on the Trailblazers. Like, I had them live minus seven and a half or something. And that third quarter – I was like, okay, time to put Dame back in. Like, the, the Rockets yeah. made it a close game. I think it got to within five or something. And then Dame came back in, and it, it was a 20-point game. Um, but where are they in the standings right now? I mean, this is turning into a – they're fourth in their own division. But uh, I think they're in the – they might be the 10th in the play. No, they're, they're 11th. They're one game out behind New Orleans. So we could very – they're half a game out, actually. Yeah, so yeah. we could we could see him make a run. What happened to Yusuf Nurkic? Is he is he done? He's for out for the season. Yeah, I think I knew that. That's why. But see, that's that's a guy who would have helped them so much. Definitely. Definitely. 
So, um, shout out Dane, one of the best players in the NBA. Absolute treat to watch. And shout out if I didn't have NBA Week Pass, I don't think I would watch that. That was a great purchase by us in the beginning of the year. Uh, getting the NBA or getting yeah. 2K. We don't even play that game anymore. But I watch League Pass probably. I watch League Pass every day. Yeah, every night. Every That's probably. Day. I've probably been more in touch with the NBA this year than any other year. And, I mean, 2K did a great job of marketing that, I guess, because I, I wouldn't have been as in touch with the NBA as if, I, as if, I'd, as if the, as I am this year. Jeez, nice English. All right, but <laughs> let's move back to the Celtics. Um, this is our team. First in the East, first in the NBA, as of right now, as of the day of this recording. And after the All-Star break, we've had two thrilling games. Like absolute barn burners. We'll start off with our game against Indiana, in which the Celtics won in overtime. And this was a back and forth duel, high scoring effect. Guys were scoring, hitting crazy shots all game. Um, starting with Miles Turner. Miles Turner went crazy. He scored forty points this game. Uh, what do you? What do you? Six threes or something? Eight. Eight three. Yeah, geez, I had his career high. Yeah, he had eight threes, and he couldn't miss. And these were, like, kind of contested, like, off a kick and a pop. Deep, too. Yeah. Just an absolute thriller. I mean, Halberton did his thing. Tyrese, is a, he's a dog. Like, he's a great player. Aaron Neesmith thought he was him. I mean, in over – I don't know. You, you watched this game, right? Yes, yes. Okay. Remember in overtime, like, the, the Pacers were down one. And there was, like, 40 seconds left. They swing it, and Neesmith takes a contested three with, like, 20 seconds left on the shot clock, and yeah. just absolutely bricks it. And the Celtics got the rebound, and that was the game, basically. Um, yeah, Neesmith. Because earlier in overtime, no, earlier in overtime, he had a layup, like, a contested layup on Jason Tatum, and he, like, gave him, like, a friendly little, like, high, and then Tatum just started going off in overtime. Yeah. Like, Neesmith, he's whatever. Like, it doesn't Sucks. Yeah, it's not like Buddy had <laughs> literally nine points. He scored it. He scored four more points than Neymar. I, I, I'm not good with the rookies this year, to be honest. I, I don't know. Jordan Nawara? He's Jordan Nawara, former Buck. Yeah, former yeah, Buck. yeah. I knew that. I knew that. Yeah, he. No, but yeah, I mean, in, in this Pacers game, it was really up to. I'm gonna say our three biggest scorers, which are Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and off the bench Malcolm Brogdon, and yeah. we've seen Malcolm Brogdon's revenge team. game. Yes, exactly, exactly. I mean, you could have seen it from a mile away. He finished the game with 24 points. He also added five rebounds and seven assists. I mean, that's six man of the year type numbers, and I'm excited for you know this fully healthy squad that we finally have, where Malcolm Brogdon, Derek White, Grant Williams. And I mean, I guess Sam Hauser, who got good minutes uh, before All Star break, and Cornette—that—that's our five off the bench. We have a full starting five off the bench, or not a starting five, but we have a full like rotation for every single position off the bench. And then you add someone like a Mike Muscala, Blake Griffin, or Peyton Pritchard, and on any given night, like we are truly the deepest team in the league, and we have two starting point guards sitting on our bench, and. I mean, they're still playing 37 minutes in this game. Brogdon did against the Pacers and Derek White. Um, he played 25 minutes and still added 17 points. These guys are going to produce for us. They love the role that they're in. And you know why? It's because we're the best team in basketball right now. And we've been, been in this tight little race stop with Milwaukee, who's now won, I think, 13 games in a row. And even without Giannis right now, um, 
you know, they're still winning basketball games and Milwaukee's finding a way to, you know, keep inching towards us. But Boston is playing keep away right now. And it was a big win against Indiana. And I mean, going on to this next game, it, it was a very, very big win against the three seed in the Philadelphia mm-hmm. 76ers. Another thrilling game. Um, th- this was unbelievable. I, I, wa- I probably watched the highlights in that game winner. Griff, you said a two in, in the group chat. I've watched this game winner probably like on repeat for the last three days. Still watching uh, it today. Yeah. Just one of the best moments of the season. We'll, look, we'll probably look back at this specific game at the end of the year and be like, damn, that was fucking awesome. Um, and I'm, I'm right about the Philadelphia 76ers. I'm not worried about them. I, I mean, this clip could bite me in the ass. But th- that team just pisses me off so much, how they play basketball. Like, it's it just not fun to watch on their end. Like, what they, the Celtics shot 12 free throws and the 76ers shot 35. Like, it's it just so annoying to watch. I mean, and beat himself shot 18 free throws and Harden shot nine. Like, those two guys, I mean, and beat himself, I would shot the Celtics from the line by six. And all he does is foul hunt, and it's really just not fun to watch. Like when he's playing and not trying to foul hunt, he's he's awesome. Like I, I literally haven't. He's hitting crazy fadeaway shots. He's a good shooter. He gets to his spot. He's physical. He's strong. He can finish at the rim. But he just foul hunts, and it's really it pisses me off to watch. And I hate that I have to bring this up. But that was a main part of this game was Embiid foul hunting. Yeah, and it's a main part of every single game that he plays in. Like that is his thing. He gets to the line. Last year was more than anybody in the league, and this year he's probably up there with those numbers as well. He had 41 points in this game, 17 of those being from the line, Stav. And, I mean, that's almost half of your scoring. And when you can get that many looks at the free throw line, you're going to have a good night. He does it every single night. That's why people like him at MVP up there with Jokic and Tatum. And, um, you know, they just play that game of – what I mean, watching them play basketball is like watching paint dry. I mean, it's boring. It, it, it's at moments. I mean, I guess you could say like when you're actually painting, like that's when they're like fun and James Harden is hitting step backs here and there. And Joel Embiid is doing his thing, like working down in the post and stuff like that. But other than that, when you're watching the Philadelphia 76ers play basketball, they're shooting 30 to 35 free throws a game. And that's just how it's going to be. And the game is going to be a longer game typically than most other games because you're just watching them. I mean, it's almost like a, a, a baseball game that's three hours long and the score ends one nothing. And that's what it was here. It ended 110-107. We've seen games. I mean, we didn't even talk about the Clippers game when they played um, the Kings where the game ended like once, what was it, 167 to 166 in double no, overtimes? 172 to 169. I think it was a one, it was a one point game. It was a one point game. So I think it was one seventy two to one seventy one. I know that they were in the one seventies. Um, I'll I'll double check on that. But um, another thing with this game too, the seventy sixes were up fifteen, and they blew that in five minutes because of Al Horford. Al Horford came out and was playing like the best player in the NBA in that third quarter. He had a stretch. I think he went eleven and zero by himself, and then he hit four threes in total in that third quarter. He finished this game with 15 points. Like, he, he, he's one of those – if he's playing well, if he's shooting well, this offense just looks unbelievable. Um, the final score of the game was 176 to 175. I just pulled it up, which is Wait, unreal. What did I say? Did I say 167 to 166? Yes. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Regardless, um, yeah, but that game was double overtime and a scoring absolute onslaught. And I think that game took less time than this did because Joel Embiid loves the free throw line. Exactly. Like the the the, the take the clip that is almost as popular as the Joel Embiid. We haven't even talked about it. The the non buzzer beater um, is one of him flopping at half court with Jalen Brown. Like mm-hmm. if Jalen Brown's that strong, where he can push a three hundred pound seven foot person over without even touching him, uh, Jalen Brown should start entering the world heavyweight lifting competitions. Like <laughs> Joel Embiid's such a loser. But that's and, that's the style of basketball they play, and uh, they like to slow the game down. And that's why uh, James Harden is there as well. He's another guy that likes to get to the free throw line. They have guys like PJ Tucker who are willing to put their body on the line, and they slow up the game and they make the game, I mean, their own. And they can try to control the pace. And Boston, who you know, I feel like Boston is in between that little like they like to play fast, but they like to be in their half court set. So it's you know, they, they take the chances that they get, but the sec, the Sixers really, like, lay back and let the game come to them. It's it's a it's a style of basketball that when you're winning, you're like, okay, we're watching it. But, you know, when your team's putting up 110 a night and, you know, you're losing games 130 to 110 in, in this modern-day NBA, it, it's going to come back to bite you. But thank God that team has Joel Embiid on their team. But back to – the good guys, the the boys in green. Um, big game tonight at the night of this recording, Monday night against the New York Knicks, who are on a five-game win streak, Stav. Um, it looks like no Jalen Brown tonight, and it also looks like Derek White may be out tonight. So it looks like maybe a Brogdon starting night. Uh, maybe we see Sam Hauser in the starting mix, or Grant Williams fills in at, at, at some spot on that team. But um, looking at this, you know, we won three in a row. The Knicks, who are now – the sixth seed and, you know, hanging into that playoff spot, which is the final playoff spot because of the play-in, this is a team that's been pretty hot in the Knicks. And going to MSG, Boston's favored by two and a half. And if you want to throw out a little prediction for tonight, what are you thinking, Stav? Um, I think it's going to be a high-scoring bout, if I'm being honest. I think um, both teams are going to become – are going to be ready to play. And the Celtics in the second half have really been taking – have taken two heavyweight punches to the face and and dealt and like handled it, survived the punch and punched back and knocked out their opponent. And I don't see the Celtics losing this game, to be honest. The last time we faced the Knicks, they beat us in kind of a heartbreaking fashion where Jalen Brown missed two clutch free throws at the end. Um, I think that game went into overtime. Yes, it went into overtime. Yes. It's one of those yep. tough, tough games where we should have won. And I think that the Celtics team takes bad losses to heart. And I know Jalen Brown's out tonight, but the Celtics are the best road team in the NBA. They're 24 and seven on the road, which is absolutely unbelievable. Like they're 22, they're 22 and 10 at home, 24 and seven on the road, I believe. And um, just the garden is where stars come out to play. Right. I, I expected Jason Tatum onslaught tonight, you know, yeah, he did go off in that Pacers game, and he did hit the game-winner against Philly. Big-time players make big-time plays, but he really hasn't shot the ball well after the All-Star break. He hasn't really played well up to his standards. He's been turning the ball over. He's been shooting poorly from three, so I'm expecting him to have a really big rebound performance tonight. I expect the Celtics to win one, 
125 to 117. Okay, okay. So interesting. I, I got some numbers up here, and obviously this episode is going to uh, come out after the fact, after this game is going to be coming out on Tuesday. Um, but the series, uh, the se- season series is tied one to one. The Celtics got the first game um, back in November. They won 133 to 118 um at msg after that like you said stav they lost a close one 120 to 117 at home so this is game three of the series the over is set at 223 and a half looking at those two other games that they played the over has been smashed in both of those so i love the over tonight Mm -hmm. um i also love the celtics tonight at msg like you said the stars come out and julius randall has been playing great basketball so whatever julius randall's line is at, i like that as well i i like those three picks I love Boston tonight. The over tonight. I mean, this is actually genuinely what I will be putting money on tonight. Boston, the over for sure will be parlayed. And I'll probably sprinkle a little bit on Julius Randle points, rebounds, and assists. Um, I don't know what the number is at, but he's been balling out lately. So I I love it. And I think that this is going to be a very big game. Um, I'm glad that I get to watch it on my local television station, NBC Sports Boston, because there's no place like home. And I – I, I actually want to get your take on this before we move on to a little bit of college ball. Um, do you prefer a nationally televised game like an ESPN game or a TNT game, or do you like watching SCAL? It really it depends, in my opinion. If it's like a Sunday afternoon game, it's a big game, like the Celtics and Lakers. I want to see Mike Green calling that game, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, I want to see if it's like a Saturday night primetime game, Friday night, something like that. You know what I mean? Big time game against the Warriors or the Bucks, something. I, I love to see like Mike Green and company calling the game. But for every other game, you you gotta go with the hometown guys. You know, you you listen to a Celtics game to hear Celtics talk. You because every time it's a nationally broadcasted game, each fan base is like, oh, these guys are biased against my team and what whatever they may say. But you know, when you get the hometown broadcast, that it's gonna be a homer broadcast. And um, yeah, it really depends, in my opinion. I mean, I love. I love both broadcasts. Mike Green's my favorite announcer. But uh, I, you know, it, so this one is locally broadcasted, right? It's not uh, yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I'm excited to watch it. It's like I said, it's a Monday night game. It, it, although it is against the Knicks, I'm glad that it's a hometown crew. Yeah, definitely. I, I like that take as well. It, it really depends on the moment. But a game like this, where I mean, I would call this a rivalry, a long time rivalry. Obviously, we're both in the Atlantic and the Knicks. I mean, have never really had our number, especially in, in our recent memory. But, you know, it's always fun to go beat the Knicks at MSG, and we're going to do that again tonight. So mm-hmm. um, the, the Seas have stayed hot. Um, hopefully they continue to stay hot. Like I said, Milwaukee, who I actually fact-checked, 14 wins in a row, not 13. Um, I mean, they're, they're red hot, and when Giannis comes back, it, it's going to continue. And that's just something the Celtics can't coast throughout the rest of the season. Um, just a, an outlook at this season or at, at the rest of the season, they don't play the easiest schedule and they have like this little, this little stretch where they play the Knicks, the Cavs, the Nets, and then the Knicks and then the Cavs again, where, you know, those are seeing the same three teams in a five game span you're due for one of those little slip up games and maybe New York gets the best of you um, a week or at the end or a week from now on Sunday. And, you know, you go to Cleveland and after that you're playing Damian Lillard 
um, at the gar- or at the TD Garden. So it, it's really not that easy of an end to the season. But we have a, a few of those games like Houston, um, like Indiana, like San Antonio, where we should be getting those wins. It's really just from here on out about winning the games that we should win. And we're going to be in a place to succeed. And I like our chances this year. I like the coaches. Um, I, I would argue that coaching this year has been better than it was um, in the past few years. And specifically to compare, I would say it's better than it was last year. And I mean, last year we saw how far our coach took us. So, um, you know, long season ahead still, but we are past the all-star break. Um, but, you know, how about we talk about in a season coming to an end, Stav? Conference tournaments are starting in mid-majors, and, I mean, it, it's go time here. And, you know, we got we had a few big, big games on Saturday, Stav. It was a great weekend of college basketball. College basketball has been hitting different this year. It's been all over the place. Teams are losing, like Virginia losing to my Tar Heels, which I mentioned on the intro, um, you know, Big games, teams that are on the cusp who are maybe a first four out type of team or maybe on the bubble like UNC, getting big wins, getting big sector one wins. And then you have a team like Bama, who's the two seed, who, God forbid, we talk about Alabama right now. But if they stay fully intact as a team, this is my pick to win March Madness. They're they're going to win it. I have no other – like – and, and specifically, I'm talking about if they keep Brandon Miller. If Brandon Miller continues to play basketball for Alabama, they're going to win March Madness. I mean, I don't hate that pick at all. And we've seen, obviously, what's happened in Alabama, all the controversy, all the – not even controversy. There was a murder that took place, and there's a lot of talk in the basketball team. One of the players is already arrested. I believe. I don't want to misspeak, but um, – was at least kicked off the team. He was at least yeah. kicked off the team. Yep. And Brandon Miller's name has been circled around in investigations, whether whatever. It, I don't want to get into details of the murder investigation, but ever since this controversy has hit the team, and ever since their name has been put in the spotlight in a negative way, Brandon Miller has really shown up for this team, and he's really doing his best to pull them out of the negative spotlight where. Against South Carolina the other night, I think it was Tuesday night yeah. or Wednesday night, one of those nights, he scored 41 points and carried them essentially. And then we saw it on Saturday, he scored another 24 points. He's just an absolute stud. He's one of the best players in college basketball. Um, an absolute treat to watch, as we say. And this team, they're taking punches. They're the team to beat in the SEC right now. Obviously, they're the second ranked team in the entire nation. And um, they're feeling the punches, they're taking them, and they're coming out victorious. You know, in my opinion, especially down the stretch in the end of the year, when you have so much negative spotlight on you, it doesn't matter how much you win by As long as you're winning these tough road games, um, you're a good team, in my opinion. And, and Arkansas no- is a good team. If you're talking yeah. about this game on Saturday against Arkansas, Arkansas, I mean, we saw them last year. We saw them the year before with Moses Moody. This, this is a school that has revived their program. And oh, I wish I could remember the name of Arkansas's coach. He's a he's a very well well known coach. Um, oh, bad journalism, straight up. But I mean, he's oh, brought this oh. he's brought this team back, and, and they've been good. They're sitting at nineteen and ten right now, and they had a good upset slate against Bama, and Bama held on. That was a big win for them. Oh, hundred percent, and um, and um, it, they're just continuing to win. I don't think. 
that there's going to be anyone who really challenges them in the SEC tournament. I I expect them to win. I expect them to be a one seed in the Mark Madness tournament. And college basketball, ever since, I mean, how I look at it, ever since football ended, it's delivered every single weekend. We've had some great games. We've had some great matchups. We've had, we've had some upsets. And this weekend, it really did feel like a Mark Madness slate with how many buzzer beaters we saw, with how many big upsets we saw, how many ranked teams did we see lose this weekend? Six, seven, or something like that? Where it was it does, it, that just feels like a Mark Madness type uh, a stat mm-hmm. to bring up. So um, and I, w- I would I would even say Stav, um, I would even say that teams, you know, if you want to talk about games that feel like March Madness, teams that should be winning these games are the teams that are hitting buzzer beaters or you know last second free throws like TCU against Texas Tech um, on Saturday. TCU who was on the road, the 24th ranked team in the nation, um, coming back and solidifying the game with those two free throws to win the game by one point, that's a very big win. And if if you want to talk about teams that are on the cusp of still being ranked and kind of screwing over their rankings, how about Texas A&M losing to Mississippi State? Um, Iowa State losing at home to Oklahoma was a terrible beat. And then I would say – the biggest game of the weekend, the Big East of which we're going to be paying a lot of attention to, Creighton falling down to Villanova. And Villanova, I mean, this is the worst season we've seen Villanova have in the past 10 years. They come back, they beat a tough Creighton team, and I'd be scared to look at Villanova in the Big East tournament. The Big East is, I mean, at all times, no matter what, you know, you have Providence, you have Creighton, you have Marquette, uh, you have Xavier, Um but Villanova is the blue blood of the Big East, right? Villanova is the team that's been doing it um, for the past few years. So when you get a big win like that, that's going to help out those kids a lot. And at the end of the day, all you have to do is win your conference tournament and you're in March Madness. So I would look out for Villanova, uh, especially once it comes time to meet up at the MSG. Um, And... I mean, the Big East is awesome. UConn got a big win against St. John's, but that wasn't a um, that wasn't going to be a given. It looked like St. John's was fighting back. St. John's had some fighting them all year. Um, if if you want to talk all Big East, Marquette beat DePaul by six. Um, and you know, Marquette's at, at the top of the Big East right now. I would say at twenty three and six, uh, they're the best team record wise uh, in, in the Big East. And they're also the best team ranking wise sitting at the 10th seed in the nation. They need to keep getting wins like this, you know, kind of comparing it to Alabama. um, Marquette is the top dog in this conference. They need to keep getting those wins. Every single game from here on out for Marquette is considered a trap game. It's, it, it, it's got to be a given. Um, but, I mean, a fantastic weekend. You know how much I love college basketball. My best game of the weekend and this is with no bias because it's not the North Carolina game, Indiana beating Purdue at Purdue. I mean, I need to bring up that clip from the last time we talked about their game on rivalry weekend when Indiana beat them. I told them, or I said, I Indiana's going to beat them again later in the season at Purdue, and that's going to be the result of Purdue's fall-off. So the fall-off starts right now. I think, I think the last time we talked college hoops in – in depth like this was when I was like, I don't trust Purdue. I don't trust Purdue to make a run in the tournament. I don't trust them kind of for the rest of the season. And ever since then, they're on a skid. Like teams in college basketball that have one dominant player, essentially. I don't, let me, let me rephrase this. He, everything revolves through Zach Eady. He's an excellent player, but yep. 
when the games matter, when you're playing an excellent or a really good, I don't want to call excellent, but when you're playing a really good Indiana team, um, who's, who has your number essentially now, we, we can officially say that uh, the game is really possession by possession. Everything matters. And when you have Zach Eady off the bench or when he's on the bench or he's not in the game and they need to figure out another way to score, this team is struggling. Um, although they are ranked fifth in the nation, they've, they're on a slide right now. And Zach Eady, yeah, he's a hell of a player, but what are you going to do come tournament time when he's getting double teamed and you're making the other guys take shots on this team? Yeah, you're exactly right. And it wasn't just this loss to Indiana. It was a loss to Maryland. It was a loss to Northwestern. Um, and then you look back at it and they've lost, what is it, four out of their last six. And before that, yeah. they went on their big run that, you know, kind of solidified their spot as a top dog in, in college basketball. And, I mean, you're going to keep sliding. It, 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 there's no way that they continue to maintain this 24 and five figure that they have first in the big 10, which we've been talking about. The big 10 is very competitive this year. And a lot of teams can beat this team. And it's exactly to the point that all they have is Zach Eady. I mean, they move off the ball quite well. They just don't actually have the guys that in my opinion are, you know, national championship like material they don't have a supporting cast around zach ed like a lot of these other guys like brandon miller has around him at bama like um i mean like a lot of other teams have zach ed is truly the only option on this team at the end of the day and you're down three with three seconds left you have i mean who's shooting that three-pointer you have maybe Fletcher Lawyer who's a 6'4 guard from Fort Wayne Indiana averaging 12 points a game that's not somebody that I want shooting that ball and if they find themselves in a hole in the tournament and this is just the conference tournament I don't even want to talk about March Madness with this team yet if if they find themselves in the hole and, and this could be early in the Big Ten tournament maybe against a team like Maryland or something like that I, I can't see themselves digging themselves out. I just think that they don't have what it takes. I don't think that the coaching is too great over at Purdue either. They just have that big boy who's been there for a few years now. He's mastered that offense. He's mastered that coaching system. And um, I'm, I'm not trying to throw any slack on him. He's the only reason why they are the number one, five seed team in the nation right now. I, you want my bold take for this Purdue team? I think they're a first or second round exit in March Madness. I, I don't see them Agreed. going far at all. And I, I, I think I stated this last time too. I, I'm comparing this team to the DeAndre Ayton Arizona team. They had a really good regular season running everything through DeAndre Ayton, but come tournament time, they got upset in the first round. And I expect a similar fate for this Purdue team. I do not see them competing against some of the top teams in the nation. And I don't see them competing against a team that can shoot the three ball. And if, if we're being honest, you know, if, if some of these mid-major teams that are coming into the tournament hot, you know, one of the lower end seeds, because we got to expect that Purdue is going to be a one or two seed when it's all said and done, yeah. lowest three. Um, I, I can see them losing in the first round to uh, 16. I don't want to say 16 seed because that's only happened once in the history of the tournament. But they could lose to a tw- – uh, what is it? What would it be? A 13 seed, right? Three versus yeah, thirteen. Yes. Yeah. I, I or four versus thirteen. So it would be whatever it is, right? I, I could see them losing to a team. If that team is hot shooting the ball, 
I don't see Purdue, like you said, coming out of that hole, you know, because their offense is slow paced and that's just not how college basketball is being played right now. Essentially, if you can't shoot the three ball and if you're running everything through the post with only one player, it's really not good. Yeah. And I'm glad that you brought up DeAndre Jordan's uh, or DeAndre Jordan, DeAndre Ayton's Arizona team, because Arizona took a tough loss on Saturday to Arizona State in a rivalry game once as well. And, you know, the season's coming to an end and Arizona's kind of have a little easy path, I would say, ever since they played UCLA on January 21st and beat them um, in a game that they completely had control of um, at home. Since then, you know, they've played teams like Washington State, Washington, Oregon, Oregon State, Cal. They lost to Stanford, which was crazy. Um, but people were looking at the last three games of the season for them. This has been kind of the make or break for them. And they're the eighth seed in the nation right now, 24 and five. This is another team where, I mean, you could even compare to Purdue as well. Losing to Arizona State. Now you have to go play uh, USC at USC. And they're not ranked, but they're around 18 and 10 or uh Something I think they're 18 and 10 or 17 and 11, something like that. And then UCLA at the end of the season, the last two games, you play USC and then the fourth seed in the nation and Tiger Campbell and Jaime Jaquez at UCLA. If they lose these next two games, that could really affect their standing in the Pac-12. Right now they sit second, obviously, behind the Bruins. And, um, you know, this is, a, this is another team that we're looking at. Not a lot of depth. They control the game very well. They have a lot of size, a lot, a lot of size at Arizona. They get a lot of rebounds. They slow the game down. When they beat those good teams, when they have those sector one wins, it always seems to be a lower scoring game, unless it was earlier in the season, like a San Diego State game or the Creighton game that they had. But looking at their win against UCLA, it was 58-52. to They barely broke 100. Obviously, the under was smashed in that game. Uh, same thing with Tennessee, 75-70. I mean, it, it it was a bit better, but you're not seeing these games in the 80s uh, over in Arizona against these big games. I could see UCLA, I mean, blowing them out next Saturday to end the season, and that is a terrible way to start conference tournament. Um, that I mean, we haven't talked too much about the Pac-12, but UCLA has been kind of running it the whole time, and um, Arizona has kind of felt like the little brother this year that, you know, kind of is making his way up and I think UCLA on that on next Saturday or this Saturday actually um takes them down and you know kind of shows them who's boss and UCLA ends up winning the tournament UCLA is going to be a one seed in March Madness as well yeah UCLA we we talk about them all the time as that team that has the veteran leadership you know um and that doesn't go – that's not an underrated thing to have in college basketball when you have guys that have been there and done it. Um, Apparently, unless you're the Tar Heels. just doesn't happen, I yeah, guess. Yeah, that doesn't make much sense to me. We'll get into that <laughs> soon. But um, this UCLA team, they're well coached. They play well together. They have really good chemistry, and they know yeah. what it takes. So that they will probably be a one seed by the end of the season. I mean – they're a great team. They're fun to watch, and I can see them totally making a run. So, what what have we declared? Two one seeds right now: Alabama and um, UCLA. And UCLA. Yeah. Right, and go. Houston. Houston. Yeah, we hate Houston. But hate Houston. Yeah, they're not. They're, I'm sorry that you lost two out. games because you play against Wichita State, and that's like your toughest game. Yeah. Wichita State so, is actually like, I mean, I would argue that Gonzaga plays a tougher conference schedule than Houston. I would argue that you play yeah, St. Mary's, you yeah, play San Fran, you, you play UC Santa Barbara, who, I mean, 
is probably like the temple of the West Coast Conference, which I mean, probably nobody understood what I'm saying right now. But basically what I'm trying to say is Houston is overrated. And I mean, they're like, I mean, they would be good as an ACC team. I'm not saying that they're a bad team. They're obviously number two in the nation for a reason, but they would have a lot of trouble in in, in the ACC. You know, you got to play Duke, you got to play UNC, you got to play Virginia, you got to play these blue bloods, you got to play, I mean, everybody. And Houston doesn't have to do that right now. That's why they're the number two seed. And that's very fraudulent when you don't have a big test going into March. And Houston's made the final four a couple of times and we've noticed once you get to that big game and you're playing in a football stadium, these kids are used to playing kids that were recruited locally by, you know, Tulane to go play basketball and they're the worst team in the nation. And, you know, you're just getting ran up and down by Houston, a great rebounding team. But I mean, I just don't trust Houston at all. They do have a one seed though, because they won't lose the rest of the season. Yeah. So we have Houston, Alabama, UCLA, and I'll put Kansas as the last one seed. I'm glad you said that. I'm glad you said Um, that. That was also my pick. That was, I mean, I, for those who don't know, that was my team last year who I picked to win it all. Um, I'm not – and just with the law of averages, I'm not going to pick them to win again. I doubt – I don't think – how many teams have gone back-to-back? I don't think – very few, if any. Um, there has been a couple, but, I, I mean, none in our lifetime. Yeah. Unless – Let's see. If it's a, but the Kansas Jayhawks are playing good basketball as of right now. I mean, they – they lost. They've lost some important conference games. They're twelve and four in the Big Twelve. Um, that could be a little bit better, especially for a one seed. The Big Twelve is competitive this year. Big Twelve is very competitive this. Year. I mean, how many teams you got ranked in the top ten in the Big Twelve? You have Baylor's in there. Texas Baylor, was Texas, just in there. Kansas, Kansas State just out of it. They're like the four teams. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's very I mean, competitive. Teams are ranked. I'm sorry. And uh, I said, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a very. (laughs) So that's all the ranking in the big 12. That is, that is, yes, that, yeah, that is all of them officially. But, um, no, you're right. I mean, Texas still in the top 10, they're the nine seed and Kansas is, um, the, the first in terms of conference standings and, I would say that, you know, there's a lot of competitive um, conferences this year. I would say that at the peak of those is the Big 12. And it's, in my opinion, it's down to Kansas and Baylor. And I I like Kansas winning that as well. And Bama's my pick to win the national championship. And Kansas is going to be the team that's playing them, uh, uh, coming from the opposite side. I mean, if you want my – this is my pre-conference tournament take. It's Kansas – and it's Bama in the national championship, officially locked in. Kansas, um, Bama there's, national. There's no change in my mind. I know I, I do love Marquette, um, but I don't think Marquette has it in them this year. Um, that's my official pick for March Madness. But Kansas, you know, you don't want to pick a team to win it twice in a year, or twice in, in, back-to-back in two years. Um, it's going to be obviously very difficult. They're the team that everybody's looking for to beat, and – I just don't think anybody can beat them right now. I mean, Jalen Wilson is a guy that's been there for a few years, and they finally have a supporting cast. Grady Dick, the freshman's been coming through for them in big moments, been hitting big shots. They have two, three, maybe even four guys on that team that I would trust taking a big shot in a big moment. And 
I mean, that's what we look for in March Madness. So they got a lot of clutch players over there. They score a lot of points and they play good defense. And um, this past Saturday, um, they were wearing their 100th anniversary uniforms. I don't know if you saw them, stuff. They were wearing like a white top, um, but there was no blue, no red. It was just white and black, but the shorts were black. I would say officially, if you were to mash jerseys, like you remember the Pacers, how they used to wear their mm-hmm. throwback hickories, terrible uniforms. I used to think that you have to wear the same pair or same color shorts than jersey. Kansas proved me wrong last Saturday with the uniforms that they wore. And um, those uniforms are a direct representation of the way that they play basketball. It's clean. It's smooth. They it, It's just beautiful. Everything that Kansas has done this year has been great. They've been a great basketball team, and they're in the lookout for. They're officially my national championship losers as of right now. Hey, it's a good take. Um, Kansas has, I mean, we talk about it all the time. They got some studs on that team. I mean, Grady, Dick, Jalen Wilson, those guys are a well-coached team, as we've said. Um, by the way, it's Eric Musselman, the head coach of Arkansas. Yes, Mark, yes Musselman, that's right. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited just in general to see how this season unravels. We're What we see right now in this top 25, it's going to look very different a week from now, and it's going to look very different by the time the tournament rolls around, too, we're going to see a lot of upsets and we're going to see a lot of teams get hot at the right time. And don't let UNC beat Florida State and then beat Duke going into the conference um, tournament. Yeah. I am being yeah. super – you do not want to see that team get hot. And I just want to talk real quick about their game, actually, because we didn't yeah. really talk about it. We just said that they won, and obviously they did, 71-63, to 63, a big win. And how about – I mean – the the guy that we've been kicking in the ass all season, Pete Nance, dropping 22 points. Finally, this is the first time I've actually seen Pete Nance and been happy seeing him play basketball. Um, He went four for four from behind the three-point line in a game where Caleb Love only scores 10 points. Um, it very insufficient, insufficiently two for 12 from the field, which happens with Caleb Love here and there. Um, that's exactly, you know, last year at this time, that's when Brady Manick stepped up and Pete Nance is in that position to do the same. If not Puff Johnson, who still had eight off the bench and grab some boards and, you know, they have these guys where I just, I would be very, very nervous to see them in the ACC tournament in Greensboro, North Carolina, going down the stretch, you beat a team, you beat the best team in the ACC and, you you open up a lot of eyes. The big test is going to be the Blue Devils to end off the season. That will be, I will I'm going to say the official tell if we make the tournament or not is if we beat Duke on Saturday. Yeah, I mean that's not even a a crazy thing to say either. Uh, this this North Carolina Tar Heels team, when they can hit the three ball, they're so much more dangerous. You know, you look at their last few losses or their last few games rather. You know, especially like against uh, Notre Dame, right? They were abysmal from beyond the arc. I don't have the exact stat up, but they were just abysmal. And why they lost to Duke is because they couldn't effectively hit the three ball, especially down the stretch. They had opportunities, open threes. I'm not saying contested ones, open threes. And what's the difference in this game? You know, you have Pete Nance's four for, or, uh, four, for four from three. They won by eight. So that's pretty much the difference right there. I mean, uh, although four times three or 12, I understand. But when you have guys who are shooting the, the three ball efficiently and who are taking a volume amount of shots, I know Caleb Love went one for eight from beyond the arc, and he, he didn't really have a great game, went two of 12. But 
when the other guys are hitting the three ball, like RJ Davis went two of four, Leafy Black went one of two, and they're taking high quality shots. Puff Johnson off the bench went two of three from three. Um, when they're hitting the threes, this team is a lot more dangerous. And exactly what you said, I wouldn't want to see them. Don't let them get hot from beyond the arc. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, regular seasons are wrapping up this week. And as I said, there's a few of the mid-majors that have already began conference play. Um, it all comes down to this week for a team like UNC who's sitting at 18 and 11 and, you know, have have those big wins against ranked teams. They're on the bubble. After beating Virginia, you know, people had them as a first four-out type of team. But after beating Virginia, it's a whole new look where – they could sneak in as a 10 seed or an 11 seed and they're playing a, a five or a six and that's the perfect situation for them. And it's kind of around where they were last year where, you know, you, you let one of those teams in and you give them a bad seed. Um, you give them a bad seeding, you know, going into March Madness, they take it disrespectfully. And after beating a team like Duke, if this happens, it's kind of the perfect storm where last season we saw the same thing. They didn't get in with a great seed and look where they ended up. And I'm not saying that they could do the same thing, but, or I'm not saying that they're going to do the same thing, but they very much so could. Yeah, exactly. And Virginia has had two bad losses. I mean, let's talk about the other. And, and even their wins, they haven't looked good. Exactly. I mean, we, we can talk about um, the, the most recent loss, like we just said, but they lost to BC last week. And it was a really bad game. They scored 48 points. They barely beat Notre Dame. They barely beat Louisville. Uh, Louisville, the worst team in the ACC, by the way. Yeah, they beat them by three. Uh, they lost to Virginia Tech. So the, this team, they're getting – they're slowing down at the wrong time. You know, like we like, we like to say – Team's getting hot at the right time. They're doing the exact opposite. So they've yeah. walked back to back. They have they have Clemson tomorrow who, night. Who will play them tough? Who will play yeah, them 100%. tough? And then they they should win the last game of the year against Louisville. I okay. mean, but that's a should. They beat yeah. them by three last time. So yeah. you never know what's going to happen. Yeah, and Virginia, who fell out of the top ten this week, they're now at thirteen. They went from six to thirteen after dropping both their games this past week. Like you said. Um, I guess real quick, their game against Boston College. I actually watched that game too. Um, the Langford or the Langford brothers had a good game. Um, Boston College is another team that they kind of did this last year. They won a couple of games in the ACC tournament. They're not a team that's going to make. Uh, they're not going to make it to the NCAA tournament, but I would look out for them if they go up in an early round against like a Virginia or a Duke or a team like that, they could, you know, ruin their tournament and ruin their seed in March Madness. There's a lot of teams throughout those conferences like that, like BC. Um, and I would say, I mean, in, in the Big East, I'm trying to think of a few teams. Like, there are teams, I mean, St. John's is one of them that could just absolutely tank your season. And I would be nervous, you know, going into the ACC tournament, looking at a team like BC who – is very experienced. They've they had a new coach, and he's not really much of a new coach anymore. He's, I think, the first graduating class for him is this year. So he's three or four years into the system, and they play well under him. And the ACC tournament's going to be very very fun to watch. The Big Twelve is very packed this year. Um, the Big East is always fun, and the SEC. I feel like 
has the top dog in Alabama. I mean, that's that's really all I have for for the rest of college basketball today. All right. My last note I want to talk about, you already gave us your team, who you would expect to really win it all. You said Alabama and Kansas, those are your two teams. We already went through all of our one seed predictions. But give me a team who's maybe at the bottom of the top 25 that you expect to make them make a run and do some damage in the tournament. I, I got mine and might surprise you. Okay, okay. Um, You know, looking at a team like, I mean, I even want to say UNC. If they beat Duke on Saturday, I could easily see them making a little run in the tournament. If not, I would look towards a Big East team. And if we want to talk about an unranked team specifically, let me think for a second. If we want to talk about an unranked team specifically, a team that just fell out of the rankings is Creighton, who – Took a tough loss on Saturday um, and to Villanova, like I said. Before that, they lost to 10 seed to Marquette by two points. They finished the season against Georgetown, the worst team in the Big East, and then against DePaul, which I think is the third worst team in the Big East. They have a couple of games to get back up there. They have great shooting. They play good defense. They grab rebounds. Their defense on the perimeter isn't that great because, you know, they have just straight shooters at the point guard and the two guard. But like I said, you score a lot of points uh, once you get into March, um, you go a long way. So I think that Creighton could, could be due for a sweet 16 run, maybe even a, in a lead eight run. Yeah, and it's a, it's a good pick. But I'm going to go for my surprise team. Not, I'm going to say a ranked team, mm-hmm. uh, the San Diego State Aztecs. I love this mm-hmm. team. This team, they play stifling defense. They force turnovers. Really, the downfall of this team is they also turn over the ball, which is kind of funny, but they get them right back. This is a very balanced team, a well-coached team that really prides themselves on the defensive end of the floor. They're dominant in the Mountain West, although the Mountain West isn't really much of a competition this year. Um, there's still some names in that conference, and San Diego State's just running away with it. They just come up with a huge win on the road in against New Mexico State, which ended in a buzzer beater. I think it was the third buzzer beater we saw on Saturday. Um, the San Diego State team, they they play defense. They pride themselves on that end of the floor. They it's a very balanced scoring attack. Like if you look at their per game stats, you have Matt Bradley who's averaging thirteen, uh, Trevo is averaging ten, Lamont Butler is averaging nine. You got you go down this list. They it's very balanced, right? And sometimes teams like this who have a very balanced scoring attack are the most difficult teams to face in March Madness. You know, a lot of teams are like, okay, we need one guy to stand out and dominate, but. On the opposite end of the spectrum, if you have a very balanced attack, you take out one guy, another guy's just going to step right up and take over that guy's job. So if they play we'll do, like the defense that we expect them to play, they average seven, seven and a half steals a game and three and a half blocks a game. Um, they do their job on the defensive end and they get it done on the offensive end. Yeah, and that's a good pick because looking at the Mountain West, as you said, as long as they get through that tournament stuff and they win it as they rightfully should, um, they're going to get a good seating. They're going to get. I mean, not an easy path, but an easier path than they would if they were to obviously drop down a game. Because if you drop a game against a team like a, uh, like a Fresno State or Colorado State, um, it, it's not a good look for you. So I feel like as long as San Diego State wins out, which, like I said, they should, because after the next two games, it's just the conference tournament, um, they're going to be put in a very good spot. They're going to be a five-loss team at that point, and – 
um, you know, it's a good run from out there because, like you said, Stav, they're a very good defensive team. Defense goes a long way. They can rebound the ball. They force turnovers. They just have to limit that on the other side of the ball. That's a great thing. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think that just about wraps it up for college yeah. basketball. Let's talk some baseball. I mean, I, I want to preface this by saying baseball is probably our biggest sport when we talk about, like, how much we like it as a podcast. I know you work for the Woo Sox, the Red Sox. I, we're, we're both 162 guys. Um, I could talk Red, Red Sox baseball. We could fill up the show for three hours. We're not going to do that. But let's preface it by saying that. And um, let's first, before we talk about the Red Sox, let's talk about the rule changes because this is a very big topic among sports in general, all across the board. Do we like the pitch clock? <sighs> Um, yes, I do. Now, I think that once every player kind of indulges it, and this is we're in pretty much the first week of play, um, I think once everybody understands, like, the rules, the official rules, and everything is clearly communicated, we're not going to see as many skids like this. Like, you know, yesterday, Masataka Yoshida stepped into the box a second too late, um, they gave him an 0-1 count. He didn't even notice. By the time he struck out, he thought it was a 1-2 count. And, I mean, it was a 1-2 count the pitch before. He looked at a ball right down the middle. So he had clearly no idea until he was called out. Um, <clears throat> once the rules are, like, clearly stated, and they've been heavily enforcing them, obviously, which is what you have to do in spring training so that, like, it's clearly understood – I think that a lot less people will be mad, but at the end of the day, games are ending in two and a half hours, two hours, 40 minutes. Um, and I've watched every single spring training game for uh, at least five, six innings of each game. And I've been loving the pace of play. I think that the pitch clock is a good introduction. Um, if we want to talk about rule changes or just changes um, in, in that sense, the one that's thrown me off the most, and this might be a curveball is the size of the bases. The bases are massive. And it's like looking at the bases, they just don't look proportionate to the field the way that the old ones did because they are truly massive. Um, obviously, it's for safety, and it really doesn't affect the game too much. But I just like – I feel like they look funky out there. I don't know if that's like a weird thing that like, I noticed. It's like disproportionate. It like, just doesn't look expect, right. Yeah. It'll take a little bit to get used to, but – I, I really do like the angle that the MLB is approaching with this, right? They, they're really making an, an effort to target pace of play because this has been a discussion for years, right? And they're putting mm -hmm. it into play, and the umps are being extreme with it now, and that's what you're supposed to do. And I, want, cause I like to say the winners and losers of everything, um, or who I'm buying stock in, rather. I'm buying stock in all the young guys that have played in AAA last year. Yes, um, they're used to this. They're used to this, and especially early in the year when you got batters who are ready, you have pitchers who are ready to pitch fast, and they are used to that. Um, I, this is who I'm excited to watch. Guys like uh, Brian Bale, who went through it for a majority of last season. Um, guys who were in rehab starts, for example, um, Tristan Cassis, who was a minor leaguer for a majority of last year. So I'm excited to see these guys perform in the MLB especially this year, uh, guys who I'm not buying stock in or who I'm s selling my shares of, velocity pitchers. I expect the velocity to be down this year. I expect pitchers who really 
the pitchers who throw for crazy velocity are usually the ones who take longer on the mound. I'm not saying that they're gonna drop 10 miles an hour or whatever, but I don't see we're gonna see. I don't think we're gonna see the frequency of pitchers throwing 100 miles an hour as we have in the past. They just don't have enough time to like completely go through that. Yeah, I mean you're throwing two pitches every 20 seconds, so you you don't have that time to kind of regain and collect. And I hope that doesn't lead to injury, but you know, obviously there's like the pitch count, all that. And no matter what, they're still going to be pitching the same amount. Hopefully it's just, you know, those couple extra seconds or in some case minutes. I saw a video earlier today on a uh, TikTok. It was like, how many times can Jose Altuve hit an inside the parker before? Well, I, I forget what it was, but before it was like someone threw a pitch in like the ALDS in like 2017 and took him like three and a half minutes to throw a pitch. And Jose Altuve hit like nine inside the park home runs. Yeah, exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, although that is an extreme example of what that can happen, and the MLB is aiming to get rid of that. And there have been other examples, not as extreme, but where a pitcher takes two minutes between pitches. That's like that's like six TikTok videos, and the attention span of the kids essentially who they're trying to make their target audience. Because baseball fans right now, it's an older sport, right? It's I don't want to say it's a dying breed, but the diehard 162 guys, it's an older, if you have to take the average sample size of a, or if you go through the sample size of baseball fans, the average age is probably around in the 40s, if I had to say so. And they're trying to lower that, and they're trying to attract the, the younger kids so baseball can stay popular forever, essentially. And I think that they're taking a right step in the direction. Yeah, and someone who's going to excel, if we want to talk about a specific player, a pitcher who's going to excel, in my opinion, due to this pitch clock, is going to be Max Scherzer. He, oh, yeah. We saw clips of him uh, yesterday in his first start. Excuse me. Um, he was, I mean, giving his own pitches. He had his own pitch calm on his glove. I don't know if you saw that, but he was literally telling the catcher what pitch he was going to throw. Nobody was telling him what to do. He was telling them. And he was just getting up there, throwing the ball, throwing strikes, strike after strike, just getting back on the mound. And um, <clears throat> in his first inning, he went one, two, three, and um, he had a three-pitch strikeout. It took 27 seconds, a plate appearance that was 27 seconds long to end the first inning. Um, it speeds up the game. Max Scherzer is going to win the Cy Young this year. I, I'm going to put – you got to put a future on it. Because he's like one of those weird guys where I feel like if you switch something like that, he's going to succeed. And I'd look at um, oh, like a Granky who is struggling to find a home. I feel like he's going to do good with a rule change. There's these guys. And I mean, if Bauer ever finds a deal, um, I feel like he's one of those guys as well. Like just those weirdos that are pitchers. They like to work around those rules and stuff like that. And I, I would be – um, dumb to say that Max Scherzer isn't one of the best pitchers in baseball, and this helps him out a lot because he's not a guy that throws, you know, 102 miles per hour, but he he, he has some velocity and he has some, like, steady velocity where every pitch there's a little bit of whip on it. And um, <clears throat> I, I, I like him a lot this year, but um, obviously I want to talk a lot about our Red Sox today, and I want to, you know, give it a couple of weeks. A lot of these guys are leaving for the World Baseball Classic, so it's going to be kind of hard to get a good look at them. Um, one of those guys being Masataka Yoshida, who just played his <clears throat> um, final game before heading over to start training for the World Baseball Classic. 
Um, he was leading off today on the day mm-hmm. of this recording. Um, we've seen him bat in the middle of the order. Um, people are saying he's a three or four kind of guy. Um, we have a lot of lefties on this team as well, if I want to keep going. But stop, just you know, as a quick look, because Masataka Yoshida, I would say, is the most interesting pickup we had this past offseason. Do you like him after watching the first couple of games? And where do you like him at batting in the order? Um, I'll answer your questions in reverse order. I like him batting leadoff. I think he, I mean, all the, the entire story throughout spring training up to this point is how surprised the Red Sox were with the pop in his bat. And he's, he has a beautiful swing, right? Mm-hmm. It's very he fundamentally does. sound. He has a beautiful swing and he has pop. You know, uh, the, the play that sticks out to me, I know he struck out twice today, but um, where he just, it was a beautiful swing. He got a double that hit off the, the uh, base yes, of the right. wall on right, yeah. on right yes, field. Right. Yep. That, that was, was his first swing. Yeah. So I, I think that, I, I mean, he's very patient at the plate as well. He, he's not, I mean, I don't like to make predictions solely based off of spring training because we see guys succeed in spring training who suck in the regular season and yes and reverse where they suck and then succeed so um i'm excited to see what yoshida has to bring because he's definitely going to be an opening day starter and i do think that he's going to be we'll get into our lineup predictions i do think he will be the lead off the lead off batter coming with that that's very fair and and i love the fact that he is representing Japan in the World Baseball Classic because a lot of these guys say, um, you know, when this tournament comes around, you kind of have a career year after that because you start off the summer in a different environment where you're competitive throughout the whole summer. You bring that into the regular season and you're already warmed up. You're not playing those little spring training games where you're in there for one AB, two ABs a day. Like the, he's going to be getting three, four AB. ABs and he's going to be batting third or fourth for this Japanese squad where then he comes back and like you said I mean he was getting comparisons to another left fielder that we had a few years ago he's one of those guys that could start off a game with a spark right and he could maybe blast one over uh that right field wall at times or you know he could get on base with a double something like that he has great pop in his bat we only saw that double for him from hits and um his two ABs today you know he was working the count a little bit, nothing too special, but um, he's looked pretty promising, I would say, in my opinion, for just a few at-bats that we've seen him. That double looked great. His form on a swing looks great. His his legs are tree trunks. He's yep. like, uh, I mean, he's a monster. Hopefully, that's what we need for him. And we haven't dropped a game in the Grapefruit League, so shout out to us, 2-0. and Um the best team in baseball right now. Um, you could you could argue, um, but no, for real. We have guys like I said. Uh, I threw out Bobby Dalbeck's name, who had a double yesterday, along with a home run yesterday, and then another double today. Um, I don't like him. Don't care about Bobby Dalbeck, but he's fighting for his life right now, right? And that could be something that we see. We saw him go on those little runs. Not last year. I feel like last year he had a very bad year, but the year before that. Um, he had like the run where, you know, he's starting to get some pop in his bat. He was getting it over the fence. He was hitting doubles. Hopefully we can get him back to there because he's a guy that, you know, could play behind maybe a Tristan Casas uh, and, and fill in on days at third base um, for, for Rafi as well. 
And hopefully maybe Bobby Dalbeck brings a little bit of production. But like you said, Stav, it, it's always hard to overreact to spring training because Bobby Dalbeck's the perfect example every single year. I don't know if he's just made to live in Florida or what it is, but he performs down in Fort Myers and then we bring him up to Boston. And I mean, he's absolutely horrendous. Yeah, it's unfortunate because there's a lot of promise about or that came from Bobby Dalbeck, especially. I mean, we're turning back the clock a few years, but the end of the COVID season in 2020 when he was our home run leader. And then the second mm-hmm. half of 2021 going into that playoff run, he was excellent. He had, I, I love the barrel rate stat because that really doesn't mean shit, but he had the yeah. second highest barrel rate in baseball or whatever. But he, <laughs> he did play well in the second half, regardless. Like he, he got like, I think in the second half, like 275, had double digit bombs, got his RBIs up. I mean, the strikeouts, you expect Bobby Dahlbeck to strike out twice a game at this point. And um, I don't know if he's going to necessarily get a shot back up at the major league every day. I don't think so the Red Sox want him as an everyday, everyday guy, hence them going out to get Justin Turner and keeping Chris and Cassis as that first, um, as the first baseman. And I love this defense, to be honest. The defense around the bag has some depth. Um, let's just talk a, bit, a little bit about what the lineup they brought out today against the Twins. Kike at short made a great throw. I don't know if you saw it. It was going to his backhand, throwing across his body, and he hit Justin Turner, who Justin Turner was playing first base, scooped it right out of the dirt. Great play. Um, I'm glad Justin Turner is playing first base early on to get kind of that feel back. I don't think he's played first base in a little bit, but I expect Cassis to be that first baseman from opening day. Yeah. But Justin Turner is a guy who – you can put him at third one day if Rocky needs an off day. You can put him at first depending on a matchup. Like if if Tristan Cassis is struggling against lefties, you put in Justin Turner as that righty option. Because like we said before, this lineup has a lot of left. So we need to figure out in that rotation. <clears throat> yeah, and Turner, who finished last year very hot with the Dodgers, um, he's probably going to be our everyday DH. I don't see anybody else filling into that spot, but you're right. He can he can play in the field on days that they need off, and that's why I think that um, Bobby Dalbeck needs to be on this you know opening day roster as well. Obviously not as a starter, but on days where maybe Casas is playing um, a lefty or something like that, um, he needs someone to fill in. Dalbeck can come in. Turner stays in. Like I said, we have a lot of lefties on our team. By the looks of it, with our opening. Um, a lot of people's opening day lineup predictions. It looks like we're going to be having like five lefties and four righties, which last year, how many lefties did we have on like, I mean, on our roster, maybe like three, two or three. Rafi Durant was up there sometimes, Verdugo. Yeah. And I think that's about it. Casas, once he came back up. Um, yeah, but, but, you know, I'm glad that we got uh, a few lefties on the squad. And uh, I'm glad that, you know, Duvall came in today. He had a walk, struck out once. Um, but, I mean, at the end of the day, we you win a game against the Twins. That, obviously, was on Monday. On Tuesday, excuse me. That, uh, an ad just played on my laptop. Um, <clears throat> but this is kind of the lineup that they went out with today was what a lot of people are around what a lot of people are thinking that they're going to run with, uh, with the exception of Duran in center field. Um, maybe Duvall at <clears throat> Duvall at center, um, and then you throw Casas at first, and then you throw Turner at DH. I feel like a variation of something like that. So this was kind of our first look at it. And I do want to say Cutter Crawford in two innings 
uh, <clears throat> only let up two hits. He had two Ks, no earned runs. He, he, he pitched pretty well out there today. And they're looking at Cutter Crawford to be a starter for this team. Yeah, I know. And Cutter Crawford was one of those guys who went on a pretty good stretch last year, especially at the beginning part of July, where he pitched very well for this team. And um, he's a project player, right? This is kind of one of those seasons where a lot of Red Sox fans right now are like, oh, this is just a rebuild year. But if these guys exceed expectations or they, they play the way that they know they can play, this team could be a sneaky wild card team, right? I mean, we look at the Red Sox offseason as a loss, right? We lost our captain. We lost Sander Bogarts. That hurts. But you look at the acquisitions. Like, I don't want to talk about the losses. We spent all offseason talking about the losses. We spent all of last season talking about the losses as well. But look at the acquisitions. Piece by piece, they don't look too exciting. But overall, it's pretty damn exciting in my opinion. I, I think they filled a lot of holes. Like, Justin Turner, Masataka Yoshida, Adam Duvall. Uh, I'm going to consider Tristan Cassis as kind of an acquisition because he wasn't on the opening day roster last year. Uh, Alberto Mondesi, when he comes back, the, these bats, as a whole, it's a pretty decent lineup. The only thing that concerns me is the pitching. Chris Sale, we don't know. We don't know, right? Like, he could be ready opening day, but I don't like counting on Chris Sale at this point. But if we have a healthy Chris Sale, then you go to Corey Kluber, who is – He's a decent pitcher at this stage of his career. A guy who can get the job done. You'll need to piggyback him with a guy like um, Tanner Houck, for example, just the spitballing name. Yeah. Then you go to Pavetta, who's a streaky pitcher. He can go on stretches, but he can also look like the worst pitcher in the MLB. Garrett Whitlock, who wasn't a great starter last year, who I personally wish he was in the bullpen, but that's neither here or that. And you go James Paxson, we haven't really seen in the last year and a half, two years. So if – these guys stay healthy. This is a pretty decent starting rotation. But if the trends continue, I'm very worried about the starting rotation of this Boston Red Sox team. Yeah, and the and the thing that stinks is Stav, um, like our lineup, our hitters, I don't mind them. I don't mind the way that um our lineup looked today. I don't weigh that I, I mean I don't mind the way that I feel like our opening day lineup is gonna look. Um I feel like we might be all right on the offensive side. We're not, we're not going to be anything too special, like, I mean, unless something happens. But um, I feel like we're, we can bring out a serviceable lineup. It's really going to come down to pitching this year, and that's, you know, a, a tough position to be in, especially when your farm system is loaded with talent. And you have names like Brian Bayo. you said, who we saw uh, shaky last year. We brought him up way too early. Um, just to fill in, obviously, for Chris Sale going out, um, you have another guy like Brian Mata, who is probably our number one pitching prospect, who um, had the COVID year. There was no minor league in the COVID year. Um, got Tommy John, and then last year made his return, started in low A, and went all the way up to AAA in one year in, in Brian Mata. And I watched him pitch a handful of times. I mean, special. He, he, he throws heat. He has good stuff. It's really just about getting – I want to say he actually pitched – no, he didn't – somebody else pitched yesterday. But um, he um, he's someone that I'd be looking out for to maybe get called up at some point, um, not early in the season. But we have, like, a few names where I just feel like we're, like, a couple years behind on pitching. We're almost there with our, with our hitters, and we're just that – at a tough spot because like you said, Chris sale, um, you know, he hops on a Peloton and he's out for two months. 
Corey Kluber almost won the Cy Young in 2017, and Sale actually won it. But um, since then, I mean, he's been nothing too special. Um, yeah. Nicky Meatballs, I mean, you went through all these guys, but, I mean, Nicky Meatballs, that's all I have to say. The kid throws a curveball, and it's like, uh, I mean, people say you want like a 12-6. He has like a 10-4. It just goes literally like up right into the strike zone, right into the middle of the strike zone. And if you're a lefty playing against Nicky Meatballs, you're taking that. I mean, I mean, yeah. if you're John Carlos Stanton, you're taking it over the short porch and then into the river. Like, I just – our pitching sucks. It's not even like we have any hope for it because unless, like, a Brian Bayo comes along and begins his Pedro Martinez-esque, and I'm, I'm knocking on wood right now, career i just i don't see a future for this team this year and it's it's no, I, pitching. I put the ceiling as a wild card team mm -hmm. like yeah that's the absolute ceiling. i, I, I think, think they could do it as well it's it's really just up to they're, who's throwing the best they're, they're gonna have to score six runs a game about to be honest i, I mean the, i think the pitching especially the bullpen the bullpen has improved from last year the bullpen has improved the starters concern me and here's – I'm just going to go through my opening day lineup prediction. Okay. And I, I do love this lineup. Uh, Masataka Yoshida leading off. Mm -hmm. TK Same. in the two. Rafi okay. in the three hole. Cleanup, I'm going to have JT. Tassis in the five. Verdugo in the six. Adam Duvall in the seventh. Arroyo eighth. McGuire or Wong ninth. And I think that's a pretty solid lineup. And if a Royal can kind of get the job done, be around a 250 hitter, this lineup is pretty goddamn dangerous, in my opinion. And I think that teams are not going to want to face this team because you really can't pitch around certain people. And if these guys are hot, if Justin Turner can play the way he does, if he can be a 300 hitter, if Rocky can be a 30 run, a 30 home run guy, if Tassis can be in the 20s, if Yoshida lives up to the predictions that teams are giving him. You know, people always say that he was an overpay, but you know, MLB.com is projecting him to go to bat 300 and hit 20 home runs. So if we can get yeah. that out of our leadoff guy, this lineup fucks. Like, I'm sad. There's no way around it. This lineup is a pretty goddamn good lineup if Yoshida can do that. And, and TK is really taking the leadership role of this clubhouse. And if he can translate his off-the-field off leadership onto the field leadership, then this lineup is going to be a lot of fun to watch. And then we'll just have to hold our breath in the next half of the inning when we're pitching. Yeah, yeah. And um I I I like your opening day uh Ross, or lineup idea. Um the issue is with that I have almost pretty much almost the same exact thing. It's just when you get into that heart where you have um <clears throat> Rafi, JT and then Casas, it's just a lot of lefties in, in a row. Or JT's a JT's a righty, but um just I just it's hard with the with the lefties. At some point you're gonna have to go back to back lefty. That's where I put Verdugo and uh Cassis. Verdugo, but you'd have Cassis before Verdugo? Yes, because the I think the the pop that Cassis would bring after JT getting on base is what this lineup is gonna look for. And then Yeah, I mean I, I like it. I like it. It's just it's I would maybe I don't even know what I would do with this lineup. I actually don't know. There's so many different variations where you could throw um, Duvall up earlier. And, and it really depends on, you know, who actually comes through for us. But I love the idea of that first three being 
uh, Yoshida, Kike, and then Devers. I want Devers in the three hole. Obviously, um, Cora loves him to be a two, but if you're going to have Yoshida leading off, then you don't want to yeah. start the game off lefty-lefty, especially if you're going up against a lefty, then it, it obviously would be a totally different look. My guess would be Kike would be leading off in that situation or something <laughs> like that. Um, but I feel like just the way that Alex Cora manages our opening day roster won't – I mean, wouldn't be the same if a righty plays a lefty, if, the, if a lefty plays a righty, or if there's a righty that has a high barrel rate against a – a lefty later than you know July 21st or something like that like you know there it's Alex Cora he knows numbers better than I do or whoever knows numbers over there knows better or knows it better than I do so we're gonna see a lot of different variations of this lineup when fully healthy there isn't gonna be anything set in stone and we could see Yoshida batting first we could see him batting fifth we could see him batting third um, and we could see Rafi around that two or three spot. We could see Turner around that four. Um, but, I mean, who knows with Turner? I mean, if he doesn't come through, we could see him later in the lineup. Like, it's this team, man. I mean, I don't – it's hard to it's hard to really get a good grasp on them because we've only t- played two grapefruit games. Um, I watched their game against Northeastern, a seven-inning game where they almost gave up a lead, um, which would have been a great, fantastic start to our season. Um, but – If I want to bring up one person that I'm going to be looking out for that I'm praying makes the opening day roster, um, the only thing that hurts him is that he bats lefty. A name that I want to bring up is Emmanuel Valdez. I, I, I like him a lot. He's a 24 year old. Um, from the Dominican Republic, he's listed as a third baseman. I think that he could be a starting second baseman a month into the season. I have a lot of faith in this guy. I watched him a lot at the AAA level as well. Um, and as a 23-year-old, he was hitting bombs. He was stealing bags. He was doing everything for the team. And Emmanuel Valdez plays great defense as well as well at every single spot in the infield. He can play first. He can play third. He can play second. I haven't seen him too much at shortstop, but Emmanuel Valdez, and he's 24 years old. And, um, you know, you could say that's young, but there's other guys in the league. I mean, Juan Soto's like a, a Hall of Famer, and I think he's 24 years old, and Rafael Devers as well. Um, that, this is a guy that I'm looking for. And, and there's a few guys, you know. Um, if you look through this farm system, there's a lot of pitching prospects. There is a few fielders. There's a few guys on minor league deals that I could easily see taking a big step this year. Emmanuel Valdez is my number one guy right now. I think that he could start over Christian Arroyo. I don't hate that at all. And I hate that I'm saying this. I hate that I'm saying this, but I'm excited to see what Jaron Duran can do this season. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's another spring training guy, so him hitting a home run today means nothing. I know, but his swing is so much improved, and he's, it, it seems as if yeah. he's been in the lab this offseason. It seems as if he's taken what everyone said to heart. It seems as if he worked his ass off this offseason. He's he's a guy who's ripped. He has tree trunks for legs, tree trunks for arms, and yeah. he's swinging the ball. He's not trying to pull it. He's having opposite field power, dude. That's what we've been lacking from Jaron Duran. And if he can spray the ball when he's up the bat, 
he could be the starting center fielder of the Red Sox. He was making some plays defensively. I know it's spring training. We have to preface everything that we say. We know it's spring training. We know it's not under the big lights and primetime Sunday night baseball. But mm-hmm. if Jaron Duran continues this, how can you leave him off this roster, essentially? He's – that's where the depth comes in. Maybe you even – I don't want to say, like, if Jaron Duran continues to swing the ball or swing the bat as he's been doing, I can see him taking Adam Duvall's spot to yeah. be in this lineup. The only thing that hurts him, same thing with Emmanuel Valdez, because I love that you brought this up. He's a lefty. There's way too many lefties in this lineup. And um, that's why. I, Which we, is like, where were they last year? Where Like, where were all these lefties? Like, I know Duran was there. Um, Casas was around. But, like, nobody was producing on, on the right side of the batter's box. And mm-hmm. it hurt us last year. It was really just Devers. And then, obviously, J.D. was a righty. Um, and, and Xander, obviously, was a righty. But, you know. Like you said, Stav, it's funny because I feel like every single day or at least every single time that I watch a Red Sox game, or well, I mean, there's only been three or four of them now, but or, or watching WEI, I hear the name Xander Bogarts. He's gone. He is gone. Yeah. He, is, he is gone. So um, I just need to remind everybody he is not on the Boston Red Sox and I'm ready to to start this season. It's officially the start of the season. the The morning period is over, and um, I mean, I say, Stav, as a podcast, we need to pick somebody that we will live and die for on this baseball team. You know, and he can lose us. He can lose. Like last year, do you remember? Um, oh, who was my guy? It was Franchi. No, we were the Cordero fan club. It was oh. no, it was a pitcher. Um, and and then he couldn't feel the bunt against the Orioles. It, it rolled over oh, to the left. Oh, oh, the oh, oh, the reliever. Yes, oh, what's his oh, name? Oh my God, they cut him. Oh, yeah, he God. just got DFA'd one day. How am I forgetting this guy's name? Shut up, Siri. Oh, oh I'm literally, God. I'm literally picturing his face in my head I right now. What's his face? Oh, I follow him on Instagram. This is just terrible. We this is the second time we've done this episode. I know, but here it calls you Sawamora. Yes, thank you. Oh my god. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Here it calls you Sawamora was my guy last year. He can, but th- that's what I'm saying. This guy can lose us this year, but we need to pick our guy. It doesn't have to be this episode, but I'm saying like a few early guys that we could be looking out for is a guy like uh a cutter Crawford. Because, you know, you get a little guy out of the bullpen and you see what he can do. Another guy like that, maybe a John Schreiber. I don't know. There's a- I, I, all right. So we have we should say as a podcast, like the guy that we're picking, it can't be like Raphael Devers. Like, yeah, no shit. No, 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 no. No, yeah, yeah, no, no. Um, no that's why I just said John I say Schreiber. Pick, <laughs> I say we pick one pitcher and one guy. Love it. I, it. You know what? You know what? We'll have some time to decide. We won't decide on this episode. Yeah. We'll. Okay. I'm not putting. I don't want to say we're going to put up a poll because it's a podcast decision. I have a no. It's us. That. Yeah. But it will be known who our guys are, and we will ride and I die for them until they fail us. Yeah. Until they can't feel the bumps against the Orioles that lose us. Yeah, I think that's a fair shout. Me giving up on Masataka Yoshida last year, I kind of sold stock at the right time. 
right when he didn't feel that bump, I was out on him. It was like an automatic switch from 100% to 0%. I officially gave up on him. I didn't want to see him ever again. And hopefully that doesn't happen for a guy this year. You know what I I just kind of like thought of off the top of my head? We saw Trevor Story. Like Trevor Story. Yeah, but like that Trevor Story in this lineup, this lineup is fucking awesome. Like I I like this lineup with Trevor Story. God damn it. At short second. second. Why couldn't he have gone to Tommy John at the end of the fucking season last year? That just irks me. It just hurts me. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. The, the Sox 2 0 in the Grapefruit League. Um, the Grapefruit League, I also want to say, undebla- undebatably the best spring training league. Some may say that the winner of the Grapefruit League is more, it holds more weight than winning the World Series. So, <laughs> I may <laughs> say, I. I'm not I, I heard that after Monday, February 27th, if you're 2-0, and you're automatically in place to make the playoffs. Oh, well, I also want to know, as we're wrapping up this episode, remember when I was, like, looking for my Red Sox jersey before the episode and found it? I just never put it on. It was just, like, sitting on my bed right here. I was like, oh, shoot, I can put this on the first time in a few months. Yeah, I just never did. Well, all right. I, I think that this wraps up the episode, though. 100%. All right. Um, I bet Griffin, like I said before we started the segment, we could talk Red Sox baseball for three hours. Yeah. And I mean, maybe at some point we'll do a Red Sox special. I think we should coming up soon. I think maybe in the next coming weeks, we we need to do like a specific episode, specific college basketball, specific to NBA and specific to MLB to kind of just get like an hour, an hour and a half to get everything kind of in place here. But we're in the high heat of the football offseason, and when it's the football offseason, that means every single other sport is in play. So, you know, we're going to be talking about everything. Who knows? The Bruins are still the best team in hockey, so at some point we're going to have to start talking about them. Shout out Olmark for, I mean, a beautiful goalie goal, beautiful celebration. Yeah. Um, just a fun team to watch. Um, Dmitry Orlov, new team member as well. Uh, just a lot of news, but... I say we wrap up before we even start talking about Bruins. We said we weren't going to talk about them today, so we won't. Maybe we will at some point. Like I said, we will have to wait and see. But Stav, if you don't have anything else, I'm done. All right. We hope you guys enjoy the rest of the week. We will catch you guys later. And peace. Peace.